Hello, Steve. Hello, Declan. Oh, you sound wonderful. It's always a relief. So do you. Are we flirting? A little bit, yeah, I think so. That's a good way to start, mate. It is, yeah. I'd like to see that with all my guests, make them feel really comfortable. Sure, sure. Are we already recording? Do we start soon? Yeah, 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 no, it's all all recorded on my side. It's fine. All right, okay. I was just, no, I meant, is this the start of the podcast? Is it? Are you going to get really filthy then, Steve? Well, I'm deciding. That's why I've asked the question. Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another, games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's episode is Steve McNeil, who is a a comedian and performer and a writer and one of the co-creators of Go 8-Bit. Um, Go 8-Bit was originally a, a fringe show that Steve and his uh, his sketch partner Sam developed back in I think 2012, 2013. And it's basically they, they, they had done the Fringe a bunch of times as a, as a duo and hadn't written a show for the year they were going up. And so they decided instead just to take a bunch of consoles and get comedians drunk and get them to play games and that would make a good show. And it turned out they were entirely correct. Uh, uh, so good of a show, in fact, that it's been... Uh, acquired by dave and the tv series starts tonight in fact uh, at 10 p.m on dave it's been rechristened dara o'brien's go 8-bit which we uh, which we go into in the show um, and also it's it's really good which is a, a relief because the first episode has been available online for a, a week or so um and it's a really good show i mean not that you know i probably wouldn't have said anything if it was bad i probably just would have glossed over it but but no it's 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 very good i would encourage you to watch it um not just see this sounds like me shilling um honestly i'm getting nothing out of this at all other than the the pleasure of chatting with people uh so so yeah watch it if if, if oh, oh don't you don't have to i'm not i'm not your boss um but yeah it's a really good chat i really enjoyed chatting with steve um sam couldn't make it unfortunately his, his children were were unwell a little bit selfish but you know i let it slide oh in fact i think i make that joke at the start of the podcast as well but i promise myself no edits let's let's push forward uh, so yeah, Steve was was excellent, a really good guest. Really, really uh, shows his his passion for games that he's kind of had throughout his life, um, which which does absolutely show in the in the TV series as well. Um, if this is your your first episode, please do go back and look through the back catalogue. There's been some amazing chats with amazing people, and there are many many more still to come. Episode fifty next week. I can't can't quite believe that. I mean. If you count the autosave episodes, it's actually episode 54, I think. Uh, but you don't count the autosave episodes. They're not canon. So episode 50 officially next week, which is very exciting. I uh, Will I say who's going to be? No. Let's leave it as a surprise. But it's a good one. Um, I, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Um, as always, you can email the show. It's checkpointspodcast.gmail.com or it's forward slash checkpoints podcast on facebook or it's at checkpoint show on twitter it's very important to have consistent branding please rate and review the show on itunes if you like it it's it's so useful and and helpful um if you don't like it don't do a thing turn it off but if you do then that is the best and i know i keep saying it but um i i don't i don't get any new reviews or ratings but i get like one maybe uh, so if I keep going on about it, I could just keep incrementally going up one by one. And I know more people listen. Like you know, I can see it. 
Um, okay, enough of that. Let's not start on a negative point. Let's enjoy the show. Um, I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. But until then, let's get on with the show. Well, we'll do a formal introduction, but I should start off by saying that um, Sam can't be here because of his sick children, uh, which yes. is pretty selfish if you ask me, but whatever. Very that's fine. Um, so for the purposes of the show, um, Steve, would you... Uh, welcome to the show, first off. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Hello, uh, my name is Steve McNeil, and somehow I have managed to make my job being a comedian that plays video games. That is a hell of a job. It is a ridiculous job, and I cannot believe that that is true. It still feels absurd <laughs> that, that, is, that that is what I do. So yeah. you're doing... You've got this show... I imagine this will come out next week. So you've got this show launching tomorrow. It starts on Tuesday, right? No, no. It's, so the show airs on the channel Dave in the UK on the 5th, Monday the 5th of September at 10pm. But they just yesterday put it out on their like early access thing. So on UK TV's like UK TV Play, um, you can get the Dave bit and you can actually watch the first episode now. So the first episode oh. is out there in the wild. We didn't know that was happening. So just yesterday, people started tweeting me telling me they liked it. Oh, well, that's assumed, good. I assumed I it had leaked, and it had, but uh, by us. <laughs> Officially so, leaked. Okay. Yeah, indeed. Um, oh, well, that's quite exciting. I'll need to go and watch that then. Um, but officially, yeah, I, well, I, when as people will be hearing this, it'll be on later tonight on Dave. If you're in America, God knows. I'll just download it. Just to figure something out, yeah. It doesn't exist. But uh, yeah, bang me some money on PayPal or something if you enjoy it. Nice, nice. So that, that's, that was born out of uh, a fringe show that you and... Um, you and Sam started, right? Yeah, it did. It was uh, so. Me and Sam, we started out as um, I was going to say we started out as a double act, but we actually we were part of a sketch comedy. Well, it's even further back than that. Where do I start? Um, I was in Brendan Burns, who's a comedian. He, I was in his show in two thousand and seven up in Edinburgh. Yeah, um, for a bit of extra pocket money because um, I was up there doing a musical because I just graduated from theatre school and um, Brendan wanted uh, a bloke to be in a show and I happened to go along to get 10 quid a day and it won the Perrier which is like this big comedy award oh is that the one where he was doing like the, the whole workout routine during the show and stuff yeah 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 I, yeah. so I was the, I was the um, I was spoiled it's been 10 years I was the plant I was the, I was the audience planting that so I had an Asian sister as well in the audience and it, so the show was about taking offence and things but yes 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 what happened was, I think it's on. I think he's put up the whole thing. Up that is a, that is a really YouTube. famous bit. Yeah, I've I've seen that a couple of times. It's where yeah, he kind of attacks the heckler and they they leave and stuff. That's right. Yeah. So it was it went viral last year as well for no reason. Nearly ten years after we did it. So yeah. sort of, some Facebook blog posted it. But um, so the first thing I ever did in comedy was by accident. I did, I was in Brendan's show, um, and it took off. So we toured it and we went to Montreal and did all the things. And so I sort of accidentally got a taste for comedy by being involved in this guy's awesome show. Um, and so I got put together a sketch group, um, like just tried to find people who were interested in doing uh, that. And it was mostly actors because sketch comedy is quite a good way for actors to dip their toe in the comedy world without being brave enough to do stand up. Yeah. Um, so we were doing sketches. There was a whole bunch of us, and eventually people drifted away. And it, you know, there's no money in it, and it ended up just being me and Sam. So we became a double act just because everybody else quit, really. Um, so then we did Edinburgh 2010, 2011, 2012. We did three years up at the Fringe at the Pleasance. Um, and then we were going to go back in 2013. But at the time, we'd had a sitcom pilot commissioned by the BBC, which we were writing. And so it got to the deadline. And we hadn't, um, we hadn't written anything, basically, for the, for the sketch show. So we decided, rather than go and humiliate ourselves, because we'd done quite well yeah. previous year, we thought, well, it's best not to go rather than go and be rubber. Can I swear? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, okay, good. I'll say shit. I'm not going to try to swear. I don't want to spoil everybody's day, but uh, shit, the word shit was in my heart when I <laughs> that thought. So just checking if I say it. So yeah, um, so, we, so we didn't want to go back and do something shit. So um, we didn't go. But what we'd planned to do um, was do this extra show called Go 8-Bit just on Friday and Saturday nights uh, each weekend because the, the fringe is a long month. If you're up there and you're, you know, if you're promoting your show every day, you've got to do the show, it can, it can feel like a very, very long month. So... And if you get a bad review, that hurts. All that sort of stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Thought, and I've done the fringe a couple of times myself. Right, 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 right. Then you, then you, then you totally know uh, how uh, how endless it can seem when you're in the bubble. Absolutely. So we thought if we do, if we just take a SNES up, we ended up taking a Wii and emulating like playing all the old versions, virtual console versions of games. But if we plug that in and then got Nick Helm and Josh Widdicombe to get drunk and swear at each other while they played Mario Kart, that would probably be a bit of fun. So we we thought people might enjoy watching us all being silly doing that. And uh, we thought we'd all enjoy it as a way of letting off steam at the weekend. And um, yes, uh, bizar- bizarrely, it immediately became more successful than all the stuff we'd, actu- we'd actually bothered to try and write <laughs> for the last five years. That is, that, that's a, a common theme, actually. I spoke to, um, you know, John Roberts, uh, Robertson, right? I know John Robertson very well from Video yeah. and the comedies. And he, yeah. uh, he, he was on the show a couple of months ago, and he was talking about how the darkroom was basically born out of him trying to settle down a, a rowdy crowd yeah, yeah, and yeah. the things were going out of control so he's like right i'll do this bit i've had been thinking about it. and that is the most sort of popular show he's done at the fringe yeah yeah it's bizarre how you you know you don't build a career it just sort of accidentally falls absolutely on you. yeah so what happened with the the sitcom did nothing come of that <laughs> no no there's um the, it was really it was it was a classic thing by the time we'd written it um or everybody had swapped chairs at the bbc and no one cares anymore it's uh, it's that it's there's anybody who's who writes comedy will tell you, particularly with the BBC, but it's true, it's true everywhere. But the BBC, um, quite spectacularly, is the the extent, the the regularity with which people change jobs or get promoted or move out or move in. Yeah, it makes it very hard to get any continuity if you're developing something because um, everybody's got their pet projects and the people they want to work with. So, to be able to get interest from someone, get some money out of them to do a thing, do it, give it back, take notes and finish it, and then get it made. If you can manage to do that while the person who let you do it hasn't changed their job, you've been very, very lucky. Um, so we sort of fell foul of the, the guy that was our um, champion. In yeah. had gone by the time we finished it, and there just wasn't an appetite for it because everybody else had got other stuff they wanted to do. Um, it's a yeah. shit business. It's a shit business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got paid to write. Exactly, exactly. Um, I found that I'm actually I'm working on something for the radio now, and there seems to be much less turnover amongst the radio staff i'm hoping at least anyway uh, well I, I hope that proves to be the case for I you i hope so well uh, <laughs> yeah, you jinxed it mate. anyway let's let, let's go let's go uh back steve well, i'm sure we'll get back around to, to go a bit but um if you can remember steve what was your very first experience of a video game my first experience of a video game was the game Pong on what I believe, I meant to Google it, but I'm pretty sure it was called the Adnan Grandstand 3000. Was I believe yes, the it was yes. one of those um, knockoff Pong home consoles um, that you could get. And it was one of my parents had bought. I think it came out in the mid-70s. I was born in 79, so it was like that was knocking around the house then. And uh, yeah, it was uh, two-player, had the two little paddle things on a little curly telephone cable connecting them to the unit, and you could play... Um, it was, four, it was four games, and it was pong. It was tennis, squash, football, and practice was yeah. the fourth game. And they're all pong, essentially. They're all pong. They're all yeah. pong. Squash is pong against the wall. Tennis. <laughs> uh, the football one's got two paddles. Classic two-a-side football. And was yeah. that like? Uh, was that like a family uh, family console, or was it just for you, or what? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I just, I, it, I, like, I mean, I remember it really, really, like, I, it probably came out when I was, like, you know, two or three years old. So it is my earliest memory of a piece of hardware. I actually bought one uh, not long ago. Like, I actually found one on eBay because they go quite cheap because they're, they're a bit um, shonky, but, they're, yeah, they're beautiful things. But, um, yeah, no, definitely uh, playing that with my little brother and with my mum and dad, like, sort of plugging that into the telly and sat, sitting in a lounge playing Pong. It was uh, mind-blowing. That's amazing. That's nice. That, like it's not. It's not. You don't know. It's not always the case that it's like a, a family fun time thing. It's, it's yeah. often like you know kids in their bedrooms on their own and stuff with their home computers. I've done plenty of that as well. But, but I'm so sure that that happens later. Yeah, activity. <laughs> so like that. That's obviously very formative. That that means that you kind of grew up with games. Essentially, they were always kind of around. Yeah. So really did you? Pong was my first. So I sort of. Um, although I wasn't around for the very first wave, I sort of managed to just catch the tail end of that first wave of games so i've sort of been on the ride for the entire journey pretty much which is nice yeah so especially because i was born just a couple of years after you i was born in 81 and it's like because i've done like a whole bunch of shows now and i've got to speak to a bunch of different people it's really interesting the kind of the way like for people even like six or seven years older than us their kind of first introduction to video games would have been at a time when they were kind of aware enough to be like holy shit this changes everything. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. for me, I think I was, I was kind of young enough that they were kind of always there. Yeah. But then you just saw them get better and better and better, and it's like, oh my god, they can do this now. This is amazing. It's a really exciting yeah. kind of journey. But it, it absolutely is. I think it's because um, my my wife doesn't really play games, so she doesn't have the same relationship with them as I do. But um, it's that nice thing of having been there from Pongasing all the way through and recognizing the the speed at which the complexity of of, of this technology has has developed is. It, that's that's one of the exciting things about doing. You know, aside from whether you enjoy individual games, just just watching the pace at which things improve. Like when we, um, I mean, we'll talk more about the other shows in a bit. But like we we use the Oculus Rift in our show, like virtual reality headsets and things, and smartphone technology as well with smartphone gaming. And just sort of the um, the level of tech that now exists that is affordable if you want to throw a little bit of money at it to play these things is is obscene. Yeah, no, it's 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 it's, it's amazing though. It is amazing. Yeah, I've got um, Grand Theft Auto in my pocket. That's <laughs> mental. Um, so can't play it because there's no buttons. It's yeah, no, is that the iPhone one? Yeah, it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- when did you sort of, or, or rather, did you kind of gravitate towards where you're the person who plays games, and you, you know, you started to get invested in it yourself, like maybe reading magazines or getting your first computer or something? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, certainly the magazines thing. I, I remember always like Amstrad Action. I have vivid memories of that. That was another one that I picked up a little while ago. I got. I'm, I'm, I managed to find the first uh, copy of Amstrad Action that I'd have when I was a kid, like a mint version of that. Again, there are only a few quid. If you want old gaming stuff, it's dirt cheap on eBay. If you want to buy like any of the peripheral stuff, it's obscenely cheap. Just a little. Um, why? Why were you? Why have you been picking that up again? Just because you're doing the show, you kind of read yeah, the youth I, and I stuff. Yeah, sort of, um, exactly that. So go eight, go eight bit. The TV show is very is very much a passion project for me. And um, so when I promised myself, if we did manage to get the TV show away, when I got my paycheck, I'd treat myself to a couple of things. So I got um, I got that Adnan Grandstand three thousand. I bought an Amstrad CPC four six four. Drove all the way all the way to Great Yarmouth to pick that up because um, it was too heavy to post apparently because of the monitor. Uh, but yeah, got the first magazine that I'd had. Just all these little things that were like they they, they were the point clear, clearly like reflecting on it. Those were the defining things that really got me into it in a big way. Because I used to program on the Amstrad as well when I was little. What sort of stuff would you would you program? 
Ah, uh, just like you get typing listings in the magazines yeah. and um, uh, the books and things, but also just silly, silly, silly little things myself. Um, just just noodling away, like making the screen do different little graphics using um, just the different characters. Basic little games so you can make things move with joystick inputs and things like nothing complicated, but um, no, nothing that would have retailed. And what sort of games on those systems kind of really stand out for you as being like, oh my god, that is that was an amazing game that changed everything. Uh, I don't know about changed everything, but certainly games that were massive for me as a kid uh, were the Dizzy games um, by the Oliver Twins. Yeah, uh, me and my brother spent a lot of time when we were kids trying to solve little puzzles. You know, you pick up a th- if anybody's not played Dizzy, you're an egg. And I imagine most of your listeners have, but um, you're, you're an egg and you're wandering around solving puzzles and you have to pick things up and then drop them near other things. And if you drop the right thing near a thing, then it lets you do another thing. Uh, it's basically what they are. I remember them really fondly, but they're kind I of like, them. they look back on as being awful now, like, you know, universally terrible games. But I, I thought they were great. They well, look they look good, at least. It's that, I, don't, I don't know if they are bad. or The, the thing that I've sort of, because I, I was really, really lucky when um, the Oliver Twins, when they um, announced they'd uh, managed to get someone to finish Wonderland Dizzy, the one that they never finished. The oh, other amazing. I, um, yeah, they did, uh, released it last year for free. You can play it online. But I actually met them at uh, Play Expo the year before, and they let me um, do the interview with them for the announcement for when the Dizzy game came out. So it sort of came full circle for me, actually, being involved in the announcement of a new Dizzy game, which was uh, somewhat absurd. But, yeah, um, that's the, amazing. Yeah, I was, I'm so, so lucky. I am so fucking lucky. Uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, the Dizzy, the Dizzy games, you say that um, maybe they're bad on reflection, but I've uh, sort of a pet peeve of mine is that I think what's happened is... Games culture's grown and as time's passed over the years, gaming history has sort of become largely Western and Japanese gaming history. And the UK scene sort of got lost along the way. So Absolutely. All, the, all those home coders that were doing Spectrum, Amstrad, Commodore 64 games back in the day, that sort of become a footnote because internationally those things never landed. They were sort of a curiosity in Europe. And actually, I think things like when you look at some of the games that were being made on those crappy little home bit computers like the Spectrum's dreadful piece of shit but there's some amazing stuff on it where people squeezed every ounce out of it but because it wasn't international they that area of history sort of it sort of vanished we like with the tv show we managed to get chucky egg on the tv show and i couldn't have been more delighted because chucky eggs this really weird little home computing curio from the 80s but it's a really fun game and it's it's a shame that you know, guys like the Oliver Twins, any 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 of those guys. We've met um, Archer McLean, who did the snooker thing. He was at one of the events that we did, and he's an amazing guy. Um, Minter as well. You know, with obviously he's done um, Tempest, Jeff Minter, yeah, uh, and Robotron and all that stuff. And all those sort of things are sort of they feel very peripheral to gaming history, and they're not. Um, no, I, this is actually like. Um there was an episode I did like really early back because I never had like home computers. I grew up with consoles basically. So yeah. I kind of missed a lot of this myself. And I did an episode with um, uh, Ian from, from churches, the band churches. And he was talking about uh, like Pi Mania and Deus Ex yeah. Machina and stuff. Yeah. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I thought he was, it sounded like too ridiculous, like a game about life on the spectrum. Yeah. And a friend of mine was so angry. He sent me uh, that I hadn't heard of this. He sent me Mal Croucher's book which was amazing and I finally got to do a show with Mal a couple of months ago and it's gen- like it's it's almost heartbreaking in a way because he was such a a visionary so ahead of his time and kind of co- completely forgotten essentially in the kind of grand gaming canon even though he was just so hugely influential especially in Britain yeah yeah it's, it's crazy uh, 
It's crazy. But uh, the nice thing is, is that I think there is a bit of a res- resurgence in that it's through Kickstarter and things like that. Because I know yes. um, the Oliver Twins, there's a, there's a guy, I can't remember the guy's name, unfortunately, but um, I'm sure you can find it if you Google him. But uh, he did a Kickstarter campaign to write a book about the history of the Oliver Twins. And he's going back through all their archives, looking at all the designs for the games and like really putting together this lavish, full color thing. And he's interviewing all the guys that worked on the original titles that those boys worked on. Because obviously, Oliver Twins were Codemasters for, for a lot of the 80s. And so that's a story that needs to be told. And it's nice that. Um, with crowdfunding and things, that there's enough of us that are interested in it that we're able to, you know, sort of capture the legacy. Whereas I think it's sort of been invisible for the last 10, 15 years, which is a shame. I mean, you sound like clearly quite passionate about it and really into to games. And was it always like that growing up, or is this something like you, you're kind of getting back into retrospectively? Like, or were you just like fully integrated into the scene as you as you got older? Yeah, I've I've never I've I can't remember a time when I've not I guess like in terms of. Like my lineage, I sort of had that Pong machine, then an Amstrad, went out to um, America with my family, I was very lucky to go out to Disney and all of that when I turned 12 and like picked up a Game Boy out there, had a SNES soon after that, um, had uh, Atari ST, had an Amiga, so a lot of the home computer stuff, um, went on to the N64, I've had every Nintendo console all the way through, also started on PlayStation, PS3, PS4, you know, uh, and I've gone back, which especially I've got a master system in the house now and a Mega Drive because I never had Sega stuff when I was little. But I've uh, you I seem to have. Uh, you've I can't remember a time where I haven't been playing a game um, since you know those earliest memories of the Pong thing. Um, it's one of the things about the TV show because a lot of people don't know about me and Sam because we've never really broken through. You know, the show is the first thing, and I think a lot of because uh, obviously we look because we're not because we live in the future now um, we look at all the online stuff and people are concerned that maybe the show is celebrities rather than gamers and it's not you know we've got Ellie Gibson on the show who's a massive Adar is a massive gamer the guest like David James yes he's an ex-England goalie so you might not think he's a game but he's he's got he's done well enough on Tetris to um, get to the bit where you see the rockets and that's not easy a lot of gamers haven't done that so although he might be a footballer and be very very sexy he really really gives a shit about games so it's um yeah it's both both me and the show are made, are made with love by people who really love it. Even the producer, the reason the show got picked up is because the producer's a guy that I used to play Civ Rev with online. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Um, oh, man, we're going to come back to that. I've got questions about that. But let's. So you talk about not having Sega growing up, so you clearly pinned your, your, your colours to the wall when it came to sort of schoolyard arguments, of which is the best. It was clearly Nintendo well, in that's your the, household. This, this is things everybody, everybody talks about that, and I don't, I, I don't remember school being like that because when I... Uh, maybe, maybe it's just because it was all quite new then, but when, certainly when I was at middle school, um, it was mostly home computing, so it was Amstrad's, Commodore Spectrums, and so actually what you do is you go and you make sense and you get to play on a different thing, mm-hmm. so it, it was more come, come to my house and you can play on a thing that you can't get on your thing, but in a nice way of sharing and all getting to play everything, so I don't, I don't really remember... They're being snobbery about the home computers or consoles. Like if someone had a Mega Drive, you'd go and play on that, and then they come around your house and they play Mario Kart on the snares. The only thing I remember is like when Street Fighter Two and Mortal Kombat came out, and there'd be that thing about you sort of had to pick which yeah. type of fighting game you like best. But generally, although because it's become this trope that everybody says about how you oh you got to be Nintendo or Sega, or whatever. I don't remember it being like that. I just remember that you you could only afford one, and so you had that one, and then you'd go and play on the other one around your mate's house. It, it's uh, yeah, but it's just any, it being, anything to kind of make fun of your friends essentially like okay my, my console is better than yours clearly maybe i don't remember i just maybe i just had really nice friends maybe <laughs> that is that is possible I mean, it was never like a bitter rivalry we weren't we weren't stabbing each other or anything but uh there was a lot of kind of play playful banter right, we right, will right. say 
banging on about Mode 7 graphics being better or whatever. I mean, Mode 7 graphics are better, though. Like, I mean, clearly. Uh, than what? Then, well, Meg, well, not better, but Mega Drive couldn't do that. You know, Mega Drive couldn't do F-Zero. It couldn't do Star Fox. That's the thing you say that. And then you look at, um, what is it, Sonic 2, where you've got the down-the-tunnel bonus level thing. Yeah. You know, down-the-pipe thing. That's, you know, whether that's made with a Mode 7 chip or whatever, it's the same bloody thing. I don't oh, know. Oh, it's not. I mean, it's good, but it's not F-Zero good. We're going to get into it now. We've got all this kind of teenage <laughs> no, stuff you've, you've had pent up. I'm not even fighting for my team. I'm Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's room for everything, isn't there? There is room for everything. I don't mean to, to you know, fan a flame. Uh, oh, you've upset me. You've upset me back then. I'm sorry. I'm Lost sorry. Too. So how did... Did you have... Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about this now because all your friends are really nice, but like... <laughs> not all of them. Uh, like growing up especially like games were still super niche until maybe like 10 15 years ago so i found with a lot of people they kind of form friendship groups around video games so did you have your sort of gang of gaming pals um i get not really like I, i'm i've most in truth although it sounds incredibly sad but until online multiplayer i mostly played games alone it's probably why i'm rubbish at multiplayer games but even i think the thing was when i when like things like goldeneye came out that sort of era, 1998 to 2002. I was at university, and that's the one dip in my uh, gaming history. Like, I, I still had, I think I went to uni with an N64, and I probably had a GameCube by the end of it, or if not, soon after. Yeah. But um, you, there was not time for anything other than booze, really, at university. So I've got, I've got that gap where multiplayer gaming started to become a really good thing on that hardware. It was exactly the time that I was... Uh, uh, being moderately fine at a management degree and uh, getting incredibly drunk. A management it. degree? That's unexpected. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I, did, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I did A-levels, and um, I did a really broad spread of A-levels. I did maths, theatre studies, business studies, and did general studies, but general studies doesn't count. But um, So it was really, really broad, and the idea with business studies was just I was all right at it. It wasn't very hard, and um, it felt like it would probably be able to apply to anything. But yeah. Did a four-year thing. It was nice. I got to go. I lived out in Texas for five months. Did an exchange thing. Lived out in Austin. That was amazing. Oh, nice. So I had a nice time out there. Uh, but yeah, I only lasted about four months in a proper job. I came out. Of, I, I had a um, work experience at Procter and Gamble. Um, what was it? Uni, which uh, just turned me off business forever because they were, uh, without exception, dreadful cunts. Um, so I sort of got turned off the idea of working in industry from that, and then had a job with a startup for about three months, and then um, Chicken Shed, the theatre company. Oh, amazing. And they, they set up a, one in Milton Keynes and, some, and I'd been doing Amdram stuff and someone said, do you want to get involved in this? And So I gave up my day job and started teaching kids drama stuff and then through that got into acting, went to theatre school and did that. So yeah, I, yeah. But the business thing's really good because I can still do my own tax returns without have to pay an accountant. So that's that nice. is quite good. Yeah, that is, that is good. Um, yeah. So I should have on to that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so in university then you said like you kind of went away from games a, a little bit, but was there still like you know, like multiplayer exhibitions in halls of residence and stuff. Nothing like that. I remember a guy down the hall from me got a Dreamcast, and that was quite nice because that was a weird little curio, really, at the time because it never really took off. So we played a little bit on that. Um, sometimes greatest we, console uh, ever game. made. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If that's true. No, it's yeah, very good though. Yeah. Uh, but the main thing we played, I seem to remember, was a guy, one of my, he was actually best man at my wedding, a lovely man called Paul Mouncey. He was in the room next to me and he um, he had a PS1 and he's only, he's a proper bloke so we only had sports games really. But we spent most of the four years, if we were playing anything, it was Brian Lyra cricket on the PS1. Oh, really? Oh, mate, proper tournaments. We used to practice in the nets. You could just you used to just go in the nets and practice. You swing for hours. But yeah, we uh, 
or get exceptionally into Brian Lara cricket. It's a, it's actually a really good cricket. How did game. that work? Was that like the kind of the the Tiger Woods games where you kind of swang the bat with the stick? When you swang, when you say swang the bat, oh, with the with the with the, like the analog stick, like the Tiger I Woods games, you kind of pull back and then flick forward right. to whack the ball it's been 15 years but as i remember it was more choosing directionally um which type of swing or which type of bowl you wanted to do on the um d-pad and then i think uh holding buttons maybe the longer you held it the more aggressive so it was it was timing and um uh how long you held for i think once you'd picked which type of swing you wanted to go for i don't think uh, anyone's ever mentioned brian laura cricket on the show before that's a that's a first if you want a really good cricket game, Brian R. Cricket on a PS1 is an exception. I mean, granted, I was drunk and <laughs> stays in my life, so maybe uh, it's roasting me. But I remember having a lot of fun on Brian R. Cricket on a PS1. That's yeah. weird. I don't think I'd ever thought even about playing the cricket game. You should. They're actually really, like, again, you've got to play with mates, but uh, it's fun. I t- another one that's really good is, um, it's, I mean, it's shit. I make my brother play it on the virtual console, is uh, baseball on the NES which essentially is just pressing one of four directions and then either saying run or don't run. Um, and it is slow as hell, but it is compelling because it's really hard to do well in it. Um, but if you want yeah, if you want another bat and ball game, baseball on the NES is worth uh, three quid of your virtual console money. I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah. Speaking of the competitive stuff, are you, uh, are you a competitive gamer? Do you get competitive when you play? No. <laughs> I do it for fun. That's the thing is um, I... Like, I understand why people love it, and I like I like esports. I like watching League of Legends and things like that. Not so much CS:GO. I find that really hard to watch, but um, I enjoy the competitive element. But I'm not. It sounds weird because I do a live show, which is people competing on video games. Yeah. But I do it for the joy of the competition rather than worrying about the winning. Because I think uh, well, it doesn't matter. Does it? It's having fun playing games. I guess if you're an esports person, that's where your income comes from. I mean, it, it matters. But if you're just at home and you're using your recreation time to do a thing that's meant to be fun, if you're getting wound up by it, you've really shat the bed. It's meant to. It's meant to be nice. Okay. Well, a similar sort of question and a different, um, a different spin on it. What game would you consider yourself best at? Um, it's, I mean, it's got to be Minecraft. I mean, I've, I've I've done an entire TV series about Minecraft, so I've, I've learned everything about it at this point. I think, but um, it's a TV series about Minecraft. Yeah, why, why do I not know about that? It was on, well, it was on Jinx. Now I'm watching Jinx today. But I don't even know what that is. So <laughs> it was, that's fine. There's no reason you should. It's a TV channel. It was just on Virgin uh, Media. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's all over the country, like all over the planet in Europe. It's quite big and uh, out in like Latin American thing. It's all over the place. But um, in the UK, it was only on Virgin Media. Um, but yeah, they commissioned me to write a series about Minecraft. I did six half hours about that. And um, what, what about like just like the history of the game and stuff? Everything. Hang on, I, I don't know. I'll tell you, I'll, I can't just you live streaming, building like no, a giant no, no, cock no. and balls no, or something. It was, it was all written and like capturing the footage and stuff and. Um, so it was six half hours and they all had different sort of themes. I'm trying to remember what they were. So there was like a fundamentals one, which was about um, just like the interface and what to do in the first day so you don't die. And oh, so like a guide, basically. A guide, yeah, a guide thing. Did an episode that was about mining and exploring. So, you know, above ground and underground, the nether, transport, all that stuff. Um, did like a crafting one. So uh, different things that you can make and uh, magic as well was in that, I think. Um, farming, did that. Did one all about different farm things you can do if you want to play that sort of game. Uh, covered all the enemies, so your mobs and the um, in in the end and all that stuff, and temples, redstone. So yeah, cool stuff you can do with redstone. Did I, yeah, did a whole. How did you get involved in that? 
through Go 8-Bit, um, when it was a live thing, the, uh, one of the guys from Jinx, um, in fact, a lot of the guys from Jinx came along and saw a really early version of the show. Oh, I'll tell you, well, actually, it goes back one further. There's a guy called um, David McClelland, who, um, he's uh, like a tech journalist. He turns up on, like, Good Morning on ITV and things like that. Okay. Uh, but uh, me and him were just uh, doing a thing over at uh, the National Film and Television School. Where what the, the National Film and Television School is an amazing place, and because they've actually got their own TV studio. So whether you're a camera op or a floor manager or whatever, as you're training up, you can actually work in a studio. So they get um, people like us in when we're free to just go in and do a pretend chat show or a sketch show or whatever, and the guys will get to film it as if they were working on a show. And I and I was doing a chat show run through with David McClellan, and I was talking about Go 8-Bit, and he was interviewing. And he said, oh, you should talk to these guys, Jinx, because he did a gadget show sort of thing with them. Okay. Put, put me in touch. So just from this random um, day out for a bit of pocket money on a, you know, on a day I'd got nothing to do, uh, met David, who introduced me to Jinx. They came along to the live show, and then uh, Jinx ended up getting me, and I, I wrote for them. So I started um, writing reviews and features and things for their channel. Because um, they, they, the way their content worked was it was like four and a half minute bits, um, which could be packaged into different shows. So you might write, you might write a bit that's um, top ten power ups in a game and that might then turn up if, it, if, it, if that was top 10 power up say in Mario that might turn up in a, in a program about Mario or a thing about um, or just like a top 10 rundown or it might turn up about fun power ups or if there was a chart and a Mario game was in it, it might turn up in that so they sort of made all this content modular and um, then they could make a lot of telly with it was the way like they a do. kind of like Getty's images for yeah, bits. a little bit, but all for their channel. So it was, they just had different sort of shows. They'd have like a retro show or a chart show or um, uh, indie classics. Thing. Okay. So, so I ended up um, writing about eight bits a week for them for about two years. I was doing that. Um, so writing record- and recording the voiceover and capturing the footage for those bits. And then once I started doing that, they, they made Video Game Nation, which you might know from Challenge TV. Oh, of course, yeah. So um, I initially I wrote on that, and then they got me to um, start appearing as one of the talking heads, and then eventually got, like guest hosted when Dan Miles was off for a little bit when he had his kid. Um, and also Console Yourself, which was another show on their channel, which is comedians talking about video games. And I hosted their um, E3 coverage 2015, so we did like 13 hours of live TV um, covering um, E3. So, got, so sort of all backwards through um, just meeting a bloke in a place. Um, ended up making a relationship with this uh, lovely little... TV channel that was just video games. So that's that's sort of where I um earned my stripes as a as a proper games bod. I guess that's amazing. Like because one of those weird things where like you you assume there's no video game content on on TV and it's all just online, but but there yeah. is. Yeah, it's on Sky now. It's on. It's actually in the sports channels because they sort of uh, shifted to an esports focus. Yeah. So they're um I think they're on channel four seventy on Sky on the, in the sports bit. But um yeah they they're yeah they've moved over to Sky now. I think they're still on Virgin as well. But it is out there. But it's yeah it's I don't know it's hard. It's not it's not very well promoted and TV's still a little bit skeptical about games as a as a thing. It's a tricky one. Um, well, I want to talk like because as as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, Sam Sam can't be here, so I want to talk about your relationship with with him because you both kind of co created the show. So when when you first met, were you like both into games? How long did it take for that to sort of come up? Yeah, no, that, I mean that that ne- that was never a thing really. Um, the the sh- the show was initially my idea. Um, in terms of saying we could bring a console and we could play games and get the community to do the thing. Um, Sam came up with the title, uh, which is a rubbish pun. Go 8-Bit. Yeah. Um, is, yeah. That, is that like a riff on Go Ape? 
go ape shit. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Okay, okay. Indeed. So that's uh, that's Sam's contribution. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, he 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 liked games when he was a kid, but he hadn't really played games. So the way that our double act worked was always that I was sort of the nerdy, geeky, dull everyman, and he was very much the sexy, cool loser who'd not really uh, done anything. Was was always our relationship, and so go ape bit as a live show very much became an extension of what our double act had been because I was the gamer. Uh, and Sam was the non-gamer, and so we, we were able to play in antagonism against each other. So, although games perfect for exposition as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it was it was a really nice fit. And so we well, the way it worked was we got comedians onto guest on our teams, and they play against each other. But whichever one of them lost, me or Sam would have to do a forfeit. Um, so we did punishments based on which people on our team won. So there was the the narrative, if you like, that ran through great bit as a live show. Was it was people just playing video games, but also you'd got this competitive thing between me and Sam. But the the competition between me and Sam in the show was never about video games. It was about by proxy whether people were successful or not. And then we had to do horrible things like um, what did we do? We had one called Pack Lunch where. Uh, uh, whichever one of us lost had to play a level of Pac-Man and then uh, run around the audience and eat mini cheddars out of the audience's hands quicker than Pac-Man at his pellets. Um, <laughs> there was one, uh, I can't remember, there was, it was like a blender and we had a fruit machine that was selected random ingredients um, which usually ended up with some sort of fish-based smoothie. Uh, that was uh, horrible. Uh, drinking vo- shots of vodka. Uh, I remember one of the earlier ones, um, we had a bowl of jalapenos. Uh, forever lost and uh, the very first gig that we ever did somebody started the chant drink the brine (laughs) it was was a much more uh that sounds like an edinburgh show show. yeah it was yeah and and by design because you know it's midnight on a friday or saturday night in edinburgh in uh, at that time of night that is very much what the people want they they want you to drink the brine (laughs) oh they want you to they will not let you not drink the brine (laughs) i've learned one thing from all this it's that they will make you drink the brine um, well, let, let's go back to when you sort of left um, left university. So you you kind of quit this job, but were yep. you still like really into to games? Is that still a thing that you you did a lot of? I was more I was sort of more into music. I got really into um, boot like bootleg live stuff of bands for a while. That was re- that was really my thing. I think between until about two thousand. What do you mean, like like tracking stuff down? Yeah, so like um, on online forums, like I, I'm really into Radiohead, so really, which I probably isn't cool anymore, but I really, really like the band Radiohead. And Radiohead are great as a live band because they, um, they, their set lists are different every night. They'll often play songs that they haven't released or recorded yet, so you get these little weird curios. So they're quite an exciting band to follow live. And they've got quite a good community of people who you know go to the gigs with kit and record them and then uh, put them up online. Like, and the band are really supportive of it. So they even... Um, I remember one of their gigs a few years ago, the band released the uh, soundboard recording of one of their gigs um, so that the community could cut their personally shot footage to do a multi-cam video. So they gave us good audio, and then everybody who'd filmed the gig video, um, it got cut together. It's like a multi-cam. Oh, that's amazing. So yeah, the, yeah, the band even shared it around. So um, so I don't know why I'm talking about Radiohead. It's not really... But so I sort of got distracted by music for a bit after uni um, with that. And it was probably... It was probably... It probably wasn't until... I came back at a theatre school in 2006, 2007. I got back into games because I'd had Nintendo stuff, but I'd been very with, with the when I'd given up the day job and tried to become an actor, um, and a lot of that ended up being teaching initially with teaching kids. Yeah, it was all cause, like I was working 78 hours a week all around the like the region. I live in Milton Keynes, but in like Northampton and uh, Bedford, everywhere, driving around in my car, going to teach kids for a couple of hours. Um, actually, so with the traveling and the classes to make that make money it was taking up all of my time so while i was trying to establish myself and make 
you know, performing my job, um, or at least something tangentially related to it, I didn't really have time. So it was when I came out of theatre school, um, I did a couple of jobs, late 2006, early 2007, but then March 2007, I had my first dry patch, I guess. So I started temping um, for a company that I ended up staying with for like nine years. I only, just, I only left there about a year and a half ago. Uh, I went there for two days and stayed for nine years. But uh, they were really lovely, really supportive. But, um, so once I started there, my evenings were free. Is that just like a, like a day job, basically? Well, it started, it was, again, it's, it's uh, the reason you should get school kids, because uh, my management degree was my saving grace, because I went to theatre school, that cost a fortune, wasn't getting any acting work initially, and I went there for two days as a temp, and then they, they wanted to keep me, because I was better than other temps, uh, because I'd got a management degree, so I could type fast, because I was into computers and things, but also I actually understood more than somebody who was temping Mike generally, because I had that background, so... Yeah. Ended up, I, they took me on uh, and employed me uh, until August of that year when I was going off to Edinburgh. And I said, well, I'm going to hand in my notice because I'm going off to the festival to do this musical. And they said, well, actually, we really like having you. Um, so take the month off and come back when you want, um, which was really, really sweet. And then over the years, what happened was as they gave me more and more responsibility because of my background, I ended up becoming a project manager there um, and... Uh, they'd let me pick my own hours. So I, as long as I did delivered on the deadlines that I wanted to, made sure that the people I was working with were meeting deadlines and things. I could just come and go. Oh, uh, that's you know. the dream. It was incredible. I mean, yeah, it's um, a company called Energy, who um, actually I was, uh, you might know, I don't know where you live, but Fit for Less, they're uh, high street gyms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, yeah, so I was involved in the development of that as a product and getting that to market. Um, not, I'm, I'm not a fitness expert. That is not my industry. But in terms of project managing that yeah. process, I was involved in the launch of that. And um, got me and Sam are on the, uh, they have like silly little comedy videos that they play in the clubs and me and Sam film some of them for them. Oh, uh, amazing. Now. But, um, yeah, so. So you had your evenings. You could, you could play games again. Yeah, to get it back to games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See how but, smooth that was? Yeah, that's amazing. I, no one noticed. It was good. Yeah, so, um, so by doing that job, that, that freed up my time because my career wasn't going that well. So Was that my... not a bit bittersweet, though? Like, because it was really like, fun. oh, cool, I can play games, but oh, man, shouldn't I be acting or something? Yeah, well, it didn't last too long because it, uh, it was six months before I did Brendan's show and then that toured for a year and that, then I started doing the sketch comedy. And when, when you're writing and performing your own stuff, you can always be busy. Yeah. So you dig as much as you want to then, so it wasn't too bad. But um, yeah, that was um, to make sure I don't tangentially drift off again that that was my brother had just got a ps3 and i'd seen gta 4 on it um i think i think that was about when it was so i picked up a ps3 and a hd telly because i've got all that lovely temping money coming in and got into that and that was my rediscovery of games i completely missed out on ps2 never had one. Oh, um, that's a shame because that, that, that genuinely could be the greatest console ever made i think it probably is and it's 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 the one gap in my in my history that is the one that I haven't picked up yet because that's when games got a bit longer as well so I don't know if I've got time to play GTA 3 ever given all the other games that are out now that I should be playing well it's, that's that's true I mean you're never going to play everything I think everyone has to just give in to the fact now because yeah, it, yeah. it used to be the case growing up you could kind of play everything well at least most of everything but now it's just impossible yeah yeah, it's crazy. But things like Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, like I picked up the remasters, but I've not got around to those yet. And... Oh man, they're really good. Oh, I know, I know, I know. It's weird though. That's one of those things where, like, because of time, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure they still hold up, but uh, yeah, it's one of the, it's a tricky one. I, I, I kind of don't want to test if they do or not. Yeah. If I get yeah. bored, because I have such fond memories of Ico, especially Shadow of the Colossus, less so. I find that a bit depressing. Oh really? Yeah, yeah it's just too bleak. Me Shadow of the Colossus is the better one. I don't agree with that, but that's fine. Right. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's just it's, it's such an empty world. It makes me feel really sad. I like I like having lots of things going on. I understand why people love it, but yeah, Ico is much better. So you're looking forward to Last Guardian? Yeah, I am. I am. I mean, if if it ever if it ever does come out, it's supposed to be coming out in October, isn't it? We've got a release October, date. October, surely not that soon. I know they kind of yeah. re-energised it the last couple of years. I am looking forward to it, though. Yeah, I will definitely is. play it. October the 25th. Yeah, they are. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, it's one of those things where it's, it's like games that have been in development forever. You're kind of like, oh, is it not going to just turn out that's, a bit rubbish? That's pretty close for it to not get pushed back, though. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. No, so, I don't mean push back. I mean, like, you know, games that have, like, notoriously, like, long right, development you, cycles gonna, tend you, to be a bit rubbish right. when they actually do come out hopefully not though i'm going to remain optimistic so how, how was how was gta then was that like holy shit look yeah, at this because i've never played a gta game oh never my god that was, that was your very my, first that's my introduction to open world you know i've played mario 64 and wander around but that's not the same thing it was uh yeah that, that was me discovering grown-up games really because i've been nintendo quite a lot um yeah, I, I mean, mind blowing. I, I devoured that, and uh, then got the um, you know the Gay Tony and the Damned and whatever it was. The you know the DLC for that really ate that up. Um, yeah, yeah, the DLC was it, was like even better than the main game for that. It was so good. Yeah, yeah, incredible. And then that, and then that sort of got me. You know, that was around that time it got me into Creed, which I know Creed gets. It, it, it's very pop. It's very easy to poo on creed but creed 2 and creed brotherhood brotherhood's probably my favorite creed game but those two back to back oh, they're, they're, those two are the, i think the, the best Lord, ones they're good games they're exceptional so uh, yeah just really really diving into that world was um lovely thing and also split that's the other game i think i mentioned it on the email essentially before but the other game that was massive for me then was split second velocity which is an incredible game are you familiar with split second velocity i have i've, I've, pl- I've played it it didn't really See, no one's that bothered about it. It's possibly one of my. Fa- it definitely is one of my favorite games ever. It's my favorite racing game. I went and played it again recently. It's, it's the so, one where like the whole so world kind of blows up around yeah, you yeah, as you're yeah, driving yeah. around. Basically, you can you can trigger um, destruction of the environment. Um, so you sort of build up by drifting and drafting and doing crazy stuff, getting airtime. You you accrue like energy or whatever, and then if you get enough, you can trigger these events where the planes crash or buildings fall over on and if you time it right it crashes on your other so the track's always evolving a bit like sonic transformed that sort of thing where the tracks yeah. different lap and it's really fun it's one of the few games i've actually 100 percented and you know got all the dlc and done everything on it and good lord i love that game i mean i got- did i did like it but I, I don't remember it making that much of an impact did you ever play the burnout games though before that i did yeah yeah, yeah. i really enjoyed burnout but something about split seconds specifically i i don't i don't know why but that game just that was my everything for about four months just playing and playing and replaying that game it's uh, if anyone's still got a ps3 and they've not i've got that you can probably get it for like two quid from cex yeah i'm sure i picked it up like not that long ago quite cheap it's beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful thing doesn't get enough love and it was supposed to have a sequel because it's all set up for a sequel at the end of it with a little um cutscene thing in it and they pulled it because it didn't sell well enough but it's a real tragedy because that with cutting edge graphics on the ps4 and that now would be a beautiful beautiful thing yeah that's one of the things i was, th- I was thinking about that the other day there's not really been many like really fun driving games for the, the new generation they're all very like you know yeah they're very kind of basic simulations essentially there's oh, not yeah. like there's no motor storms or anything like that uh, i just got my dad's although i never really got on with motor storm that was never as much fun as they thought it was um but a seto corsa um i just got my dad that that's cool. is it a seti corsa or a seto i can't remember. i don't know i'm not into cars but it's it's a it, it looks rubbish but the level of detail they've gone into in simulating 
like I don't know spark plugs and things. It's it's supposedly the most realistic ever, but I don't care if the spark plugs behave in real time. Like no. I want to have fun going really really fast around corners and overtaking people and jumping over things. And I don't. It, 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 yeah, racing games seem to be a little little bit too po faced at the moment. And that was, the nice thing was split second. Was it Blur? Was another one that was Blur quite was good. another one. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, games like that, there, there doesn't seem to be that middle ground. You've either got Mario Kart or you've got F one now, and there's there's nothing sitting in the middle in the same way. I know Forza's trying to a little bit, but it's too hard. I can't like because I don't drive right, and I don't. I'm not. I'm just rubbish at racing games. So the more realistic they are, the, the worse I get at them. Also, Forza lets you rewind, which just feels like bullshit. I can't yeah, it does, yeah. pass that as an idea for a racing game. No, no. Yeah, so so when did you start... Um, like, wh- why did you think the, the games coming to the, the fringe would be good? Like, why was that an idea that you had? Well, doing great, bit. Yeah. Um, re- re- gen- genuinely, it is a mystery and a surprise to us that it's become as successful as it has. We honestly just... We'd given up on Edinburgh because 2000, 2000, what actually happened was in 2012, it was our third year doing sketch comedy, and we found What was out, your sketch comedy group called? Uh, just McNeil and Pamphlon, just our surnames. Um, and the third year, we got long-listed for the Edinburgh Comedy Award, like the main show award, and, we, and then we just missed out on getting on the shortlist, which is the one they actually tell everybody. Yeah. It's quite, um, although it's not the thing that it was, it's quite a big deal for everybody because um, if, you, if you get on that shortlist, that sort of... This very, although it's not always true, it's certainly the industry all then go, oh, well, they are good then. And often, if you're open to different opportunities to maybe the ones you expected, it's, it can be a good springboard to getting something commissioned and made because you're, you're a hot property at that point. And Absolutely. We just missed out on getting on the shortlist, so didn't really pick up on any of that off the back of the show. And we really poured our heart and souls into to that third show. So it, 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 the show was about what it is to be a double act and what it is about, you know, the grass is always greener because we were both very different. We did a body swap thing. So we actually performed as each other in the show. Like we really threw everything we could at what we'd created with our double act. So we've got nothing left really. And it hadn't turned in, although they'd all been well received critically and, you know, audiences enjoyed it. It had never since worked. So we'd sort of given up really. Um, Sam had gone down to Bristol and he was working down there for, um, uh, Endemol, who's doing, who's doing regular work with Endemol, and I'd just going going up in somebody's play up at the festival. So we weren't really we'd sort of stopped doing us really, and it was just when we said we weren't going to do uh, the sketch show in 2013 because we hadn't written anything. It was actually Sam who said, "Well, let's go and do the video game anyway because it'll be fun and why not?" But we'd given up on the idea of uh, the double act being a thing really. So it, it was it was purely for fun, and then somehow phoenix from the flames became what allowed us to continue working together for the next three years so that's it was a, amazing yeah yeah we were we were out <laughs> we were done it a, which in a which in a way maybe helped because we really had nothing to lose so we did the show that we wanted to do that was just fun for us and we didn't mind being saying all the things about the industry or about the comedians that maybe one wouldn't if one was trying to make a job doing it yeah so it may it maybe freed us of the of the bullshit of the industry and allowed us to just do what we want then obviously it got um, into development for TV, and then there was a whole new world of nonsense that we had to play with. But uh, that's uh, that's showbiz. But like, I mean, as much as you say it was a, a totally unplanned show, you mm. s- you still have to you have to plan it a little bit. You need to think about right, what games are we going to oh, really use? It's really yeah, oh yeah. sure. Uh, the games thing's really really difficult, and that was true for the TV show as well. I so how we... did you how did you how do you do that? What uh, is the discussion? The well, it was certainly. 
for for the live show originally, let's say for the TV show, but for the live show originally, it was there was a very definite remit that cause it was called Go Eight Bit. Obviously, so it, it didn't have to be eight bit games, uh, but it it had to be retro games. So it had to be old school games that people who were our sort of age and the age of people who were going out to a fringe show at midnight on a Friday or Saturday night. We're looking at people who are in their thirties, maybe forties at that point, maybe late twenties. But it's people who, broadly speaking, grew up with our range of games. Yeah. So it, it needed to be games from that period. Also very, very important, um, again, not so much for the TV show, but for the live show, it had to be local multiplayer so that we could have everybody playing on a single screen so that it was easy to follow what was going on Yeah, because we didn't have the ability to vision mix. Um, And also, uh, slightly more technically, uh, it was whatever was available on the Wii Virtual Console because we ran the entire show off a Wii. Okay. If it was uh, available as a retro game on the Wii, it was in the show. So the first year, I think we did... I think we played three games the first year, and it was Mario Kart, Street Fighter 2, and Bomberman. Um, oh, there's good choices. Yeah, really good. I mean, Bomberman's a bit more of a curveball because it's not as universally known to non-gamers, but it's such fun, compelling gameplay and easy to understand that it allows, it allows you to, uh, to get away with that, I think. And with the, like you mentioned, the, the, the Pac-Man forfeit, like with the forfeits, just whatever... Or yeah, we, did you try and tie them to the game somehow? Video game based. I'm trying. It was a guy called Will Hartley. He's a great comedian um, from a sketch group called Clever Peter. He's just up at the Fringe this year as well, doing a show called Open Swim, which was insane and brilliant. Uh, but so he was. Uh, he was like the uh, what do we call him? Punishment twat. Will Hartley. That's what we official <laughs> title. And so his job would be to come up with the punishment. So after the game and somebody had won or lost, Will would appear. And uh, surprise and delight us with a punishment that he concocted that we then had to do. But yeah, the the, re- the what, what it usually became was a dreadful video gaming based pun, which then painfully tangentially linked to the thing he was making you do. <laughs> uh, tended to be what it was. Um, so that sort of be- so that became his shtick. And so we had a couple of other guys, Paul Foxcroft and Richard Soames as well. They did um, uh, live commentary because uh, we couldn't do that and be involved in the show so we had a couple of guys doing live commentary while the gameplay was happening and another guy called Guy Kelly um, from a sketch group called The Beta Males who we built him up as this guy called Video Game Guy and Video Game Guy can complete the first level of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in under a minute blindfolded using his feet to control the game uh, and so we had like a feature piece where Video Game Guy would uh, and can he actually do that? yes he can and it's fucking amazing it's uh, one of the best things I've ever seen it's also one of those things where you're like hey how did you discover that it's a waste of a life it's a waste of a life <laughs> but at, at midnight in scotland on a saturday night that's uh, that's compelling thing oh yeah absolutely so get all get up like the borderlands 2 guy and uh, all make up and top this he's a good looking <laughs> it's quite a thing so what about the the transition into tv then how was that how was that any different um it's a lot more complicated, and the the main difficulty. Well, there's there's, there's, there's there, there was two challenges uh, with it. The first was um, finding a balance between satisfying the gaming community but not alienating uh, non gamers because Dave is a commercial channel; it needs to have broad appeal. Yeah, to, you know enough people have to watch it for the advertisers to pay us enough money to make it make money for the channel to make it a worthwhile proposition, and that's just business. That's how everything works. So there was a lot of toing and froing about. Um, the more niche titles. Well, I think. I think we've. I mean, I can, we can talk more about which games in a minute. But I think we've trod the line quite well, actually. But um, so that was. There were a lot of conversations about whether something was uh, good enough. That, there's actually three things. It was that is whether they were recognised. Well, the second was is the gameplay compelling enough to watch. But the third one 
was because Go 8-Bit is an entertainment show and doesn't have any editorial content, we were obliged legally to get clearance from all the developers to use their games. Um, and it turned out that was a lot harder than we'd anticipated uh, because often, especially with retro titles, because obviously the show's called Go 8-Bit, uh, copyright of games is held by several different companies for different uh, elements. So somebody might own the rights to the character, Somebody else might own the code. Somebody, another person might own a specific version of the game. Um, there might be licensing agreements that go forwards and backwards. And often what's happened is that these companies no longer exist or so many people have changed that nobody really knows where the legal uh, – I don't know what the word is, but where the person that can say yes is. No yeah. one's sure. And actually – the, the really tricky thing about it is that what would probably have happened, if we'd have just used what games we wanted, I think it would have been fine. But that's yes. not good enough for a lawyer at a commercial TV channel. But the problem is, from the gaming company's point of view, is when you approach them and you say, um, can we use your game? They're in a difficult position of going, well, we want you to use it. We'd love you to use it. We're sure it's fine. But we cannot tell you yes, because we're not sure we have the ability to tell you yes and can't be seen to be... Because then they might be liable if somebody yeah. else comes up and goes, why have you done that? And we go, well, they said we could go and sue them. So, oh, that sounds like but, a proper pain in the ass. It really was. It was um, both the Rohan Acharya, a producer, and also a guy called Gareth Swan, who um, has worked in the industry for years doing um, marketing, all sorts of things. Uh, but uh, they had the job of clearances for the games. Uh, I mean, even... We, ch we changed games like 30 minutes before we recorded some of the episodes because we had clearance issues come out at the last minute. It was chaos. And... Um, even after uh, recording, there's still been a certain amount of to and froing with people to resolve issues that, on occasions, we've gone. That's so close, we're going to have to take the punt because we're filming it now. Yeah, uh, and we'll have to work out how that's okay later. It was. Um, I don't think. I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn to say that. Uh, no, nothing, no, no. Certainly, nothing will be in the broadcast that we're not allowed to. I'm sure. Is there um, anything that that you just? Well, I say, I say, say that legal uh, <laughs> responsibility or wait. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, this isn't uh, <laughs> this isn't binding in any sense. Uh, when um, you say somebody else might disagree, that's the other weird thing of getting to this point when we've got something on this scale is uh, there's also a, there's all of a sudden a lot more people looking over your shoulder. It's uh, not in a bad way. And I, I have to start learning to be careful what I say now that what I'm doing is actually of uh, interest to more than six people in a port cabin in Scotland. <laughs> um, well, uh, if this doesn't get you into trouble, is there any game that... Um, <laughs> You you weren't able to get clearance for that that or the one that you were the one that got away essentially that you were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. There's no Nintendo games in the series. There's not oh, no Nintendo in the series. Actually, turned out it doesn't matter that we've got enough games that you don't, you don't miss it. I, I sat and watched the series the other day because it's coming out soon. And I got the final cut, and uh, you don't miss it. But um, as somebody who grew up with Nintendo and uh, enjoyed using the games in the show live things things like mario kart you know it's, it's ridiculous that mario is not in our show about video games and i think again that was a difficult thing where it was some toing and froing between the uk and japan um some confusion yes. there and also we got commissioned we got the show got green lit very very soon before it had to actually be made i think we had about a two-month turnaround from like it took three years to get it made but when we got told yes that was two months before we filmed it so a lot, giving the companies time to go through whatever process they needed to resolve it was tricky but um also culturally um i think maybe there was a concern from nintendo japan i'm not sure it's true but um possibly that co a comedy show about video games has an undercurrent of maybe being um dismissive or um negative or not representing their brands in the light that they want them to be whereas oh, the show is very much a celebration of video games so it isn't that but uh, our hope is that once series one airs if it goes well enough and uh, 
you know, fingers crossed we get to make more. Hopefully when people see what the show actually is, that will reassure them that this is, um, this is not going to do your brand any harm. This is, this is a celebration and a thing that it would be nice to use again. Like Grand Theft Auto, we couldn't get GTA. Um, we had a guy who wanted to do a build us a thing in GTA, but we couldn't use that. Um, that's, Minecraft, that's quite surprising. Yeah, well, a rock star are notorious for it, apparently. I, I don't know, but apparently they're, they're very particular. Understandably, because that is a valuable IP. Yeah. Uh, Minecraft, Minecraft, we couldn't get over line quick enough. We, we had a spleef arena built by my mates, um, who I'm on a Minecraft server with. It's beautiful, uh, but we couldn't get that over the line in time. But hopefully, again, you know, if, we'd get, if we get to do more series. There's a, there's a, the nice thing is... There's, the first series is really good and full of good games. There's loads that we weren't able to explore um, in series one, so we, we haven't used them all up. If we are lucky enough to get more, there is a lot, a lot of great games sat there. And what about the uh, the guests as well? Like, did you have any say in that? Like you were saying earlier about like David James being like really into his games as much as people might might dismiss it so did you get any say in that or was this just like um was that out of your hands a little I mean, bit we, i mean it, we, the final decision did not rest with us but we, we were consulted and we were talked about it i mean my, my thing uh, was always about um wanted people who would embrace the idea because when we done the live show we done the live show we maybe had a hundred comedians on the live show over the years yeah and the uh, people would ask what to do and how to prep and we said you don't the only thing is is when you come to do go eight bit the audience people have chosen to pay money to watch people play computer games they love computer games so don't undermine the conceit of enjoying people playing computer games and that's it so the guests on the tv show don't necessarily have to be great gamers but they have to embrace gaming as a as an idea and want to play and want to enjoy and want to win so like josie long's not a great gamer but josie long as with everything she does, came at it with a relentless positivity. Yes. It's infectious and it's fun. Um, also, um, com- the show had always been comedians, so we were very co- we were very conscious of it being led comedically. Yeah. But when you get someone like David James, who's better at Tetris than you are, um, you want him to come and play computer games. I want to play David James at Tekken because he really, really likes computer games. So that's fine. That will be compelling because he's good at games. But we didn't want anybody who was doing it for the fee. Was there, uh, was there, were there any sort of ringers that came in and you were like, oh, they're not going to have a clue. And then they're just, you know, they're playing Sonic 2 with their feet blindfolded. <laughs> uh, well, David James was a revelation. Uh, we didn't really know until we got to the studio how big a game he was. We knew he played games, but you never know how much he's hubris. But uh, the other one is Bob Mortimer, because we, um, in, in the show, uh, everybody can pick uh, a game that they want to play. Yeah. So you best get to pick a game that we can, we've set up a challenge in. And Bob Mortimer sent us his list of games, and they were all first-person shooters. He, he, he only really plays games where he's got a gun in his hand and he's running around killing things. <laughs> Which, you know, Bob, Bob is a, you know, he's a, inc- inc- he's a legend, incredible comedian, but he's, he's, a, he's a lovely old man now. He's an elder statesman of comedy. And it was this sweet guy who you don't associate with games at all going, yeah, no, uh, if we can play Dead Space 2, that'd be awesome. And he going, what? <laughs> it's not. Yeah, but he played, he played him with his kid. So he got into it. When his son was a teenager, he'd sit and play him with him. And that's how he got into it. And he really got a taste from Resident Evil 3 he picked for the TV show. So we do a little thing on that. It's, that is uh, beautiful. Yeah, that's he's really unexpected. into it. Yeah. Also, I mean, mostly dreadful at games uh, that weren't first-person shooters. But, uh... <laughs> but still, the first person, you know, that, that, those are the trickiest ones for a lot of people to pick up. You know, the yeah, whole control exactly. thing. Also, I got to sit. You know, I got to sit on a sofa with Bob Mortimer for three hours at a TV recording. So that well, was, that's that's got to be exciting. That's a box tick, isn't it? Well, this is this is the big question here, though, um, Steve. Did, was it upsetting that it's now called Dara O'Brien's Go Eight Bit? No, it is. It's, uh, like it, it, the, the really lovely thing about that is that Dara always, when he does press, always uh, tells people that it was me and Sam that came up with the show. 
industry. So he, he, he makes sure people are aware it, it was our proposition. Um, we get a created by credit on the TV show. Um, and also, it had been going long enough. I mean, we, we've got a decent enough following both for Gate Bit Live, but also me and the little video gaming sub community through Jinx and the other work I've done. Yeah. Video Game Nation and so on. That um, Whenever anybody chips in about uh, the Dara Brin show, there's usually somebody who turns up and fights that corner for us without us needing to, which is sweet. But also, the truth is, McNeil and Pamphlon in 2013 were a failed double act who were just going to get drunk and play Mario Kart because they happened to be in Edinburgh that month for a few weekends. Um, we were not a viable proposition for a TV show. And if you were going to make a show called McNeil and Pamphlon go 8-bit, no one would watch it. They just wouldn't because that the reason it's called Dara Brings Great Bit is not vanity on Dara's part. It's because if we stick his name at the start of the TV show, his name will appear at the start of the um, listing on the EPG on people's boxes. And people, and this is a proven thing, you know, these guys have done research on this. People see Dara's name, they'll go, Oh, I like Dara Brino, I watch that. I mean, obviously, some people go, Oh, I hate Dara Brino, I won't yeah. watch it. <laughs> the, the idea being that a random show called either Go 8 Bit or McNeil and Pamphlon Go 8 Bit, or more likely McNeil and Pamphir. And then it goes dot, 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 because it's wrong. <laughs> Less people are watching that than a show called Dara O'Brien's Go 8-Bit. And it is very much in mine and Sam's interest to, for the show to be a success, so that we're allowed to do more. And obviously, by association, by being in a show with Dara as team captains in this thing, uh, we do very well off of it. But um, also, Dara is the best at hosting panel shows and is a massive gamer. So if you're two blokes who've been doing Porter Cabins in Scotland and you're actually being allowed to make a really expensive studio TV show, why on earth would you not want the best person in the country at hosting those things to be sat in the middle looking after you and helping you learn how to do it? It's um, There's no... I mean, I'd love it to be you know Steve McNeil's super video game fun times, but uh, <laughs> I am uh, entirely comfortable with my place within the... Uh, on 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 the on the comedy ladder rung. It's a very I, diplomatic I know, answer. I know Steve. which one I'm on. It's not. No, it's not. No, no, no. I, I, that is, it totally makes sense. Obviously, um, you know, because he um and he's lovely. We just did my other show, Wi-Fi Wars. Um, we just did that up in Edinburgh again, and uh, Dara came along to that, and uh, he does. He didn't have to. He's very busy, but he came along, supported the show, really enjoyed it, and um, he's yeah, he's uh, incredibly supportive, and 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 actually a really lovely man. Yeah. Of course, also, he's, also he's having work done in his house, so he needs the money. <laughs> Good luck to him. Um, tell me about Wi-Fi Wars. Uh, so Wi-Fi Wars is a spin-off from Go 8-Bit. It actually started, um, first show we did in Edinburgh 2013 was just us getting drunk playing computer games. Uh, and then this guy who's actually, he's the boyfriend of one of McNeil Pamphlon's few fans, a lady called Elizabeth Knowles, lovely woman who goes to a lot of sketch comedy. Um, and her boyfriend is a web developer. And he came up to us after they came to Go 8-Bit in 2013 and said, I've invented this thing that you might like to use in your show. And what he'd done was he'd come up with a way that he could set up a Wi-Fi network in a room and then allow people to log into that Wi-Fi network using their smartphones. And once they'd done that, by sending them to a specific web page, he could beam controls to games into their phones. So you didn't have to install anything. You don't have to download an app. Um, all you have to do is connect to a Wi-Fi network, a closed network, and go to a web page, and then he could put buttons in your phone. And the thing that he'd done that for was a game called Pong, which I believe we've mentioned and we're Absolutely, all aware of. Yeah. So the audience would get an up and a down arrow, and the way it works is um, you're on either my team or Sam's team, and as the ball moves towards your team's paddle, you just press once, up or down, depending on which way you think it needs to go. And if the majority of your team guess correctly, it moves into place and hits the ball. If they don't, it don't. Um, so it's, it's a vote, essentially, but... Um, enough to allow an entire room of people to control the game 
Um, so that became in 2014 the finale to our Go Eight Bit show. So, that was, so the final game in that show was that the whole audience played the game to decide which team won. Basically, that's good. So that was, it was really exciting, and you know, truly cutting edge, never been done before. He's, he, Rob Sedgbury is an actual genius. Um, and the other thing that we did in that second show was to decide how many points were at stake in each round. The audience would vote on who they think was going to win. So what that allowed us to do was get the audience to do a bit, of, the um, comedians to do a bit of smack talk, talk about how good they are at the game, and give each other shit. So that was a bit of fun. Uh, and then the audience would vote who's going to win. And if 68% said Nick Helm was going to win, there were 68 points at stake. Uh, and that's all that tech was initially. But then the other thing Rob did was lent us his Oculus Rift dev kit. So we had a challenge where um, we'd put a comedian on the Oculus Rift on a virtual reality roller coaster and get them to hold a tray of champagne glasses while they went around a roller coaster trying to do their set. Um, and however many glasses they kept on the tray, that would be um, um, they'd score a number of points for whichever <laughs> team was behind at that point. So very silly bit of fun. But the guys who make the Christmas lectures at the Royal Institution came and saw that at a show of ours in London at the Backyard Comedy Club and asked us to do it as part of uh, the Christmas lectures so me and Rob obviously as two nerds who'd grown up watching it every year and just yes uh, so went along and we actually got to be part of the Christmas lectures were you in the Dem- Christmas lectures? yeah in 2015 oh my god that is yes, amazing so no yes mate correct there's <laughs> two reactions of people going oh my god or what's the Christmas lectures there is no in between do you know I probably saw that and I wouldn't have made the connection that's amazing yeah, 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 it was. I mean, dream come true. Again, you know, my, I, as, I said, as I said at the very start of this conversation, I can't believe that this is my job. But um, So we did that, and that was lovely. Uh, and then we had a chat with them afterwards about the tech that we use in Go 8-Bit with the phones. And they said, well, would you like to come and give a lecture about the technology you've created? So they were offering us to give a lecture in the main lecture, like Faraday, the Faraday Theatre at the Royal Institution. Would we like to go and give a lecture about <laughs> tech? So we said yes, but at the time, all we had was Pong and the vote. So the only reason, so Wi-Fi Wars only exists because we had to retrospectively invent a technology that didn't exist so that we had an hour's worth of things to talk about at a lecture <laughs> we could do. So meeting a girl at a gig and saying you're in a band and then going home and being like, right, we need to form a band. We need to form a band, like, exactly that. Um, so the first, we, so we did a lecture there in 2015, July, uh, and at that one, it was all variations on a theme with buttons in web pages so we had um we had pong we had track and field where you tap left right left right on the feet as fast as you can and it aggregates those to do a running race uh, we did a version of whack-a-mole where we got a grid of nine um and you hit the enemy team's moles uh, we had a penalty shootout thing where you choose where you want to kick the ball and the team captains that we pick uh, are in goal so it's sort of one versus many. Oh, that's that, good yeah it's really fun uh, so uh it was that and that all went well so then they uh, they offered us a residency. So every three months now we do a debug night where we present new stuff we've come up with. I say we. I mean, Rob is the one who actually does all the hard work. I say, oh, could we do this? And then Rob has to work out how to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, every three months we do that as a residency. Um, and we actually just did in July, we did our second full show there um, where we actually broke the Guinness World Record for most people that play a single game of Pong. We did, um, it was 251 had done it and they did it with laser pointers but we did 286 using our kit of that. So we, yeah. In so your face, laser people. In your face, laser America. <laughs> uh, so just by accident really as we've been developing that uh, for that show uh, people kept offering us work. We got offered corporates. People uh, booked us for venues. So at the beginning of this year, uh, Birmingham Mac, lovely theatre, booked us. And uh, we went up and we said we'd do it. And, you know, me, we, we sold up 400 tickets. 
And it's not and at that point great, but it's not on the TV. We're not a thing. But 400 gamers turned up to uh, plan our toys. So we had a chat with Phil McIntyre, who are a big tour promoter, and uh, they've they've taken it on. And so they're booking some venues. And so we're on the road until the end of the year. Um, Amazing. Yeah, all around the country. So if any of your listeners want to look up Wi-Fi Wars, then coming in. It's all, oh, also, it, we now, um, it's not just buttons. Um, Rob has now found a way of beaming actual games into people's phones. So um, we've got a 3D first-person shooter. We beam into everyone's phones. We do multiplayer deathmatch with everybody in the room. Oh, amazing. It's, it's sick. I mean, he it, the stuff he's doing is ridiculous. No no one else on the planet has done the work to make this. He's, the people who make the tech don't think it's possible. They've told us it shouldn't be possible, but somehow it works. He's even built um, a virtual reality game that you can play with Google Cardboard so the entire audience can fly through a virtual reality procedurally generated 3d city it's, are you sure he's not just putting a track mode on everyone's phones and yeah, just yeah, saying yeah. No, no, you're all playing it's fine yeah well we, we go to great pains to demonstrate to people that it's actually happening that is, that is amazing <laughs> um yeah he's a he is a genius so but the lovely thing is is that these two things are sort of grown in um in parallel so you know in next monday the tv show starts and then two days later me and rob are off on the road for two months with wi-fi was so got me you know video gamey telly comedy show and me live video gamey comedy show it's uh living the dream it's ridiculous i just hope people like it it's um yeah it's a wonderful it's a wonderful wonderful thing i mean even if even if the tv show doesn't work what rob has built is compelling enough that somebody will enjoy that because um if you if you love games and fun um he's he's created the best uh the best thing ever have and you I started start, thinking I, about doing that like nationwide as part of the show like getting everybody to log in have yeah well that originally that was going to be the hope um actually what's happened is, is that wi-fi was a sort of drifted off to be its own thing because um rob was never part of the development of go 8-bit directly so wi-fi wars is his so it's yeah. not part of it although we used pong in the tv show and a version of track and field that was built on rob's tech so we but sort of in the same way we would use a sega game we can use a rob sedge beer wi-fi wars game if you like yeah uh, but we are in talks with um both for radio and for television we're looking at um formats which allow uh, a live broadcast on radio or tv where everybody at home is able to play along with the show based on our kits we've, we've actually had um we did a private uh, event at google but we started uh, we've met with their guys about networking and ups and scaling what we do for broadcast so we're, How we're exciting look- yeah so we're looking at ways like four million people can play along live. i do love that like i spoke to a friend of mine who's on the show a couple of weeks ago uh worked on buzz you know the the quiz game yeah 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 um and we were talking about how there was like a very brief period a couple of years ago where suddenly these massively multiplayer kind of live event games like kicked in like there was one on the xbox the one in a million where everyone played the game show at the same time yep and it was really exciting but then it just kind of they they faded away very quickly so it'd be nice to see something like that come back yeah, and it's, it's 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 part of the trepidation with it as well because I know the Davina McCall hosted a thing where the idea was that the audience would all do something on their phones at home, and the tech failed with the live broadcast. So there's um there is a reticence about doing. It. I mean, we're very lucky. The people we're partnering with uh, understand the complexity of what we're trying to achieve, but um, it's one of those ones where you know, like when a game comes out, uh, the servers shit the bed and nobody can get on. We yeah. can't, we can't do that with a live TV show. So there is a lot of um, a lot of really complicated work to be done to. Uh, work out how we can deliver that and ensure it's robust but thankfully uh by talking you know we're talking to google we're talking to amazon cloud services you know talking to all these guys about infrastructure and they're used to handling lots of people going to web pages so uh hopefully we'll find a way that the entire country can play games together i am <laughs> i'm uh, looking forward to that i'm going to end with a couple of uh, quick fire relatively quick fire questions Steve. sure um steve what was your worst rage quit uh, my worst rage quit was uh, 
It's actually, it's actually definitely track and field hurdles at the TV recording because um, uh, the way that we did that, we, they built us a massive uh, Spectrum keypad, so like a four foot space bar, amazing, uh, and ZX buttons, tap ZX, 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 ZX to run uh, in the thing, and, uh, and my kit broke. So the way it worked was it was it looked like a keyboard, but what actually, what actually was going on was they got pressure pads on the floor, and then they'd got just like eight footballs, a plank of wood balanced on top of it, and another eight footballs, and then they rested the button on top. So when you press it, the the footballs squeeze a bit, um, so you get the button satisfyingly pressing. It was a very low-fi solution to a high-tech problem. So it looks like you, the button behaves like a button, and there's a response underneath it, so it knows to press the thing. Yeah. Problem was. We did, I think we did a 400 meter sprint in the TV record. And that is a lot longer than you think it is when you're trying to press a button that might, the balls burst on my side and got wedged. <laughs> so I was like, I mean, I was doing, I was like, it was like doing press ups, but pull ups as well on this massive thing. And I'm not strong upper body. And I honestly thought I was going to have a heart attack about 20 seconds into it because it hurt so much to do it. So, <laughs> I just had to stop and let Rachel Riley do it without me for a little bit because she's much stronger than me, it turns out. <laughs> so, that, yeah. is, that is amazing. I honestly thought I was going to die on camera. It, it nearly killed me. You can see that on TV. Chris Akabusi does the space bar. <laughs> That's a sentence you, you weren't expecting to say a couple of years ago. <laughs> My life's ridiculous. <laughs> um, what uh, game have you argued about the most? Ooh. Uh... Or has caused the most arguments whilst playing it? Uh, that's, it's another one that we've used probably in the live version of Great. Keep talking and nobody explodes. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, it's a great game. So um, for any listeners who don't, um, again, I guess most of you guys do, but if you're not familiar with it, it's a PC game where one of you is on the computer, either on a virtual reality headset or just on your keyboard, um, and you've got a bomb on the screen uh, with a bunch of different modules. And across the room from you, not looking at the screen, is somebody holding a printed out paper manual with the instructions for how to decode the bomb. And it is incredibly complicated. And it's one of those ones where communication is key. And if you're not completely tuned in to the other person's way of explaining a thing, it's just the most infuriating thing in the world. <laughs> um, even if we're in a TV show, I think, because um, we, we played it in the TV show, with Gina Yashere, great comedian, she was on Sam's team, and she kept referring to one of the symbols as an X with a tail on it. And it's a H with a tail on it. And <laughs> if, if Sam had bothered to not get wound up because he was stuck in a tank with a thing that was going to explode, he'd very quickly and calmly realised she obviously meant the other letter that looks a bit like an X, but isn't an X that's got a tail on it. But instead, it just escalated and got incredibly... The edit it makes it look far friendlier than it probably was in the room. <laughs> she was disgusted at her refusing to uh, acknowledge that it didn't exist. It was... Um, yeah, it, was, yeah it, it, it changes people, that game, on quite a fundamental level. But it's also possibly the most fun. Oh, it's uh, brilliant. It's uh, so much fun. Game. It's, uh, it's so good. It's not expensive either. If you've got a PC, buy that and print the manual. It's... Oh, it's yeah. Again, that's the nice thing about the TV shows. Getting games like that in's been a delight because that's uh, yeah, that's a good thing because that was like a game jam game. I think they just yeah, made yeah, it in yeah, a couple yeah, of days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nice we got we've got like, like games like we've got Coral Rimper on the Wii U, which is a random one. Oh, lovely. We've got, uh, we've got uh, Gang Beasts. Had to have oh, them. Gang Beasts is amazing. God bless that game. That actually feeds into my next sort of quick fire question, which is what oh, game has uh, made you laugh the most? 
Uh, well, Gang Beast, I mean, Gang Beast is a good chat, actually, which is why you've done that, because, yeah, I mean, it is just, it's possibly the most fun you can have as a four-player multiplayer game. But um, I think the, well, the first game that really made me laugh was Monkey Island, uh, but I'm sure everyone says everyone that. Everyone does say that, yeah. Um, because, because it was, it was the first game that actually used humour well. Yeah. Um, you know, or, I mean, all, the, all, all those games, those point and clicks from those guys back in the day were spectacular. But or the one most recently that uh, reminded me how much I'd missed games like that was South Park, Stick of Truth. There's, there's some bits in it that are grotesque and horrific, but that game, it's basically a 10 hour, well, maybe seven or eight hours. It's not that long, is it? But um, it's an eight hour South Park episode, and it is as funny as one, which is very, very funny. And you get to play it, and it, it just, it, I both loved it, and it also made me sad for how rare. Um, how rare comedy is used that well in games oh yeah no it's, it's that, that's why i ask it because it's one of the, like everyone always talks about games making you feel things but games that really make you laugh are yeah. very very rare yeah i, th- I think as an industry uh, certainly a lot of triple a titles are, are in danger of taking themselves too seriously too often so i yeah it's a. Uh, I get. I, I obviously one of my one of the dream jobs I'm hoping off the back of the TV show. If I'm, if I'm entirely honest, is that if we if we had the opportunity, me and Sam and a couple of the other guys that we write with, had the opportunity to do writing work on games and just try just try to bring that tone to video games because th- there is room for a lot more of that than there is at the moment. Um, you know, not that you know Destiny and Call of Duty and all those things. They're all great, but it's more fun to be silly. Yes, um, but I mean, I'm sure one of the joys of the show is is you, you you're able to kind of use kind of serious games in a ridiculous fashion and yeah, make it yeah, into oh, a brilliant yeah. comedy moment you know resident evil 3 has never been less scary than when bob Mart- mortimer tries to master tank controls <laughs> yeah oh that sounds good um steve i think we've covered all sorts of good stuff um if there's anything that we haven't brought up that you wanted to mention then please please do um i don't think so man i think just um you know if people do want to watch the tv show it's on mondays at 10 o'clock from the 5th of september i hope you like it it's called bellaro brian's go 8 bit and if you'd like to come to my live show wi-fi wars.co.uk has got all the dates so just if anybody wants to do more of what i enjoy more of what i do then that on my website's got loads of videos from vgn and console stuff and all that so steve mcneil.co.uk has got loads of videos of my stupid face saying silly things about games so to uh write insulting things on youtube videos of me then that's the best place to (laughs) Um, well, thanks very much, Steve. That was that was a lot of fun. Are you good? Are you happy with that, mate? That's, yeah, man. If you're happy, I'm happy. Thank. You. It's always nice to talk about games. I like games. So uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, good luck with the rest of the show. Cool. Good luck with all your fun, exciting things. I hope the show goes well. 